0: Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. If you're new with us, it's our practice uh, most of the year to work through books of the Bible and uh, see what God would have to say to us. This January, we're thinking about some topics. And so I'm going to pray as God helps us think about uh, this topic today of thinking about how we're part of uh, a family and his team. Why don't you bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us more than we know Uh, We thank you that we can meet together like this in peace and prosperity in this country. And we pray for others in other lands and other Christians who are being persecuted at the moment, that you would please grant them your comfort and strength. Uh, Father, please, uh, we pray today that you would help us to know more of your love for each one of us and what it might look like to love each other better this year. And we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. In some less happy New Year news, you may have heard that uh, the richest person in the world is about to get divorced. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, and his wife Mackenzie announced it on Twitter on the 10th of January. Amidst the media feeding frenzy that followed an announcement like that, you know, questions like how much of his, his, $136 billion uh, will she get? One of the actually kind of interesting and I think useful, thoughtful articles was one about the myth of the lone genius founder. Did you get that? The myth of the lone genius founder. And this happens especially in kind of tech circles. So, uh, you know, the idea that it was all Steve Jobs in a garage in the 1980s, you know, that made Apple happen. Or it was all Mark Zuckerberg, you know, Facebook, and he's just the lone genius founder. Uh, The truth is, in Amazon's case, that um, Jeff's wife, uh, Mackenzie, She also left a very comfortable job in New York, and I think actually she was the one who drove the car to Seattle to start this startup that may have failed. Um, And I just want to read you one line from this article. Uh, It says um, Empires like Amazon and Apple aren't created by a single man in a vacuum. They're the product of a mix of luck, that bit's fascinating, and the contributions from an entire team including the founder's spouse. Now, So many of the things and uh, organisations and great uh, things in our world are, exist because of the team that was behind them. And that's what I want to think about today. We are all only part of a team. There are no self-made people. We're all, we're all the products of our families. We all belong to communities. Even if we go to the supermarket with my money in my hand, the fact that there's any food on the shelf is because we exist in this amazingly complex interdependent society. Um, and even if our modern life breeds this kind of individualism, even if city life can kind of create an isolation, we're still dependent Um, We are a team, this human race, and we need a team behind us as individuals, and especially if we're Christians. Um, In life, there are joys to share and there are burdens to bear, and you're not meant to share them alone. Uh, In the Christian life, there are temptations to resist and there are doubts to face, and you're not meant to face them alone. In fact, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 pictures uh, kind of the Christian life, being a Christian, like running the city to surf. And it's almost like you've got to Heartbreak Hill. Uh, This verse is on the screen, Hebrews chapter 12. You can follow along amidst the streamers. (laughs) Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith okay being Christians like running a marathon and you're meant to follow Jesus and there's this crowd but it's this marathon and it's hard right to truly love God and to live for God and to love your neighbor as yourself is this uphill battle at times where sin and selfishness entangles us so easily So to work with integrity in a workplace that cuts corners, that's hard. Uh, To endure suffering without getting bitter at other people or getting bitter at God. Uh, To do the dirty jobs in life when no one notices you or appreciates you except God. To forgive when you've been hurt again. To share the gospel rather than the gossip in all those conversations. All of that's a challenge, isn't it? In fact, if kind of being a Christian is never hard at all for you, Hebrews 12 will kind of say, you're not doing it right. It's kind of meant to be hard to to truly love God and live for God and love your neighbor as yourself. You should just find yourself saying, I cannot do this alone. I can't do it without God and his help and prayer. And I cannot do it without God's team, the church. And so as we kind of think about resetting our lives this January, I want to think today about how do we reset our team? What's the team that's behind you? Um, and not just because you need God's team behind you, but because we all do. And so the rest of our time, we're just going to dip into a little, couple of little bits of 1 John. Uh, and what we're going to see is that it's in one another that we experience God's joy and God's love. And then I'll wrap up. Okay, if you're following on the handout, uh, we're up to a point that says, it's in one another that we experience God's joy. Now, I'm just going to read uh, from 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to pick it up halfway through a sentence, but you'll figure it out. So, verse 3, 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. Uh, it's talking about Jesus. He says, That which we have seen and heard. And John's talking about how those first apostles literally saw and heard Jesus. Now, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Okay, so here's John. He's opening this letter with an invitation to joy and to live a fulfilled life. He's talking about how is it you can have complete joy? Sounds amazing, right? And the recipe is, uh, number one, the message of Jesus. Um, that which has been seen and heard and proclaimed, right? You need to have the message of Jesus being shared and proclaimed. Uh, ingredient number two is fellowship. That is, partnership, that f- those family relationships with other Christians. And it's like uh, the recipe goes, kind of just let that simmer for a while. And over time, joy will grow. Right? We grow into joy as the Bible is read and proclaimed in Christian community and fellowship. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian and martyr at the end of World War II and he said this uh, quote on the screen. He said, The Christ in our own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the word of other Christians. The Christ in our own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the word of other Christians. Now what does that mean? I think he's saying something like, there are times in life that we feel condemned or overwhelmed, or defeated. Maybe we've given in to temptation and we're feeling guilty about it. Maybe we feel condemned, but not because we we haven't done anything wrong. Maybe we're plagued by doubt. Maybe we're kind of lost in our own suffering. And in those times so often, our own kind of minds are confused and our hearts are muddled, and another Christian comes along and they speak into our life. Maybe it's a conversation with a friend, or singing a Christian song, or hearing a sermon, but the point is, it comes from outside of us, right? It's not my own internal monologue. Do you you experience this? Like, my, my own internal monologue, at times, I'm just confused, and my mind goes in circles, and I could get doubt, I could experience doubt and depress myself any day of the week. But then a word from outside comes to encourage me, this objective, Good news to my heart. Now, um, most I don't know how you've experienced this, but many of us, um, the times that kind of God turns on a light bulb, sometimes you're sitting reading a book on your own, you're reading the Bible on your own, but very often it's that some other Christian (laughs) said something to you that encouraged you or challenged you. Um, Very often God's truth comes home to us from outside of us through other people. I mean, if you sat me down and said, pray for 30 minutes straight, I actually kind of struggle. My mind gets distracted. Put me in a kind of group, I can pray for half an hour with other Christians together, right? The Christ in my own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of other Christians. Now, Bonhoeffer kind of expanded this idea and he said, "Um, what's going on is it's the same as the reason that we're right with God. And what's that? Well, the reason you're right with God isn't from something inside of you, that you're so good, but that Jesus is so good, something outside of us. So here's a longer quote on the screen. In themselves, Christians are destitute and dead. Help must come from the outside. And it has come and comes daily and anew in the word of Jesus Christ. But God put his word into the mouth of human beings so that it may be passed on to others. Therefore, Christians need other Christians who speak God's word to them. They need them again and again when they become uncertain and disheartened because, living by their own resources, they cannot help themselves. Now, you don't need other Christians to know you're forgiven by God. Um, the, the good news of Jesus tells you that. The Bible, there's promises, but, gee, it helps <laughs> to have the encouragement of other Christians speaking Jesus into your life. And God's given us his, uh, God has given us each other. We're to speak his truth to each other for all those times that we forget it on our own. And as we share the word of Jesus in community together, joy will grow over time. So one of the practical questions today is, as we kind of reset our lives for the year ahead, How will you make sure that you've got God's team behind you? Now, who are the people who are going to be in your life to support you and encourage you, to pray for you, to call you to account, to just help you go the distance with Jesus? Who are those people? It's more than just having your your besties. I mean, um, it's it's just a great joy to have some really good friends in life. Uh, But some of our uh, friends, they're not always the ones who are going to challenge us. Or bring us back to the Bible. Um, So who are are those people going to be? I remember a friend telling me a few years ago, um, I think he'd been reading up some of those uh, kind of business and self-help books, and and he'd read a bit of research or some, I don't know, that said, um, over the long term, your income becomes the average of the seven people closest to you. And uh, my friend's kind of into all this sort of stuff, and so it's like it's really important to work out who are your mentors and who are your colleagues and who are your friends. And I actually haven't seen him for a little while, so I don't know. <laughs> like I don't know. Um, but is it interesting that uh, the sociologists warn us actually about the commodification of relationships in Western society? That you know, every, almost everything in our society, kind of you can put a dollar sign on it. Um, Even when we talk about things like depression or divorce, there's a dollar sign. You know, everything can be kind of bought or sold and commodified. And and so there's this danger in our relationships of we're in them for what we get out of them. Um, We only have time for others for what they can do for us. You know, if they spark joy for us. Just to go with a kind of little meme, we'll come back to that one. Um, But I just want you to notice God's vision for the church is bigger and better than that. It's more than just my people and my tribe. We're, we're to love and to learn from people who are actually different to us. And so that means there's actually a harder question, not just who's behind you, but who are you getting behind? Who are the people this year that you will be concretely committed to, supporting them, praying for them, sharing Jesus with them? And my, my prayer for our church and my prayer for the community groups that meet kind of during the week, uh, over the course of the year, my prayer is that you'd find friends and find some besties, um, but also just that you'd find brothers and you would find sisters. Because um, the, jo- the joy that John is promising us here, well, you'll never be happy if you are just chasing your own happiness. Um, you know that, don't you? Uh, the secular, all the secular research will kind of prove that for you as well as the Bible, but If you are just pursuing your own happiness, you'll never be happy. But it's as we pursue one another's joy through all that suffering, even through the times we hurt each other and sin against each other. But together, as we do life with Jesus, John's saying that's how joy will be made complete. Okay, we need a team behind us. It's actually in one another that we experience God's joy. And then the second thing is, it's in one another that we experience God's love. And and again, John wants to tell us how to have the real deal, a fulfilled life, full of love. And so this time I'm going to read from John chapter 2, and uh, we're going to pick it up at verse 1 actually. So we're on page 1021, if you've got these church Bibles. John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. There's a whole lot of stuff there. I'm just going to dip into a couple of things. Um, He's saying. We know that we know Jesus, and we're not just kind of fooling ourselves. When? When we keep Jesus' commands, verse 3, or when we keep Jesus' word, verse 5. That's when God's love is perfected and completed in us. And that includes um, like every command Jesus gave us, which is why we just keep reading the Bible together as as a church, to see all that Jesus has for us. But John's especially interested in one command that Jesus gave. And he says, it's an old command, but actually it's a new command. And you go, what's that about? Except he's just talking about what Jesus said in John 13. Jesus said, I've got a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. That's what he's talking about. Um, Then John gives us a couple of diagnostics. He says, how do you know you've got the real deal on Jesus? Well, you can't say you know Jesus if you don't obey Jesus' command, to love the Christian sisters and brothers in your life. I mean, basically, you can't love God on your own. Um, Now, there's times and seasons in our lives, but ultimately and properly and in the long term, you can't love God sitting in a study just with a Bible and a sermon download. It's got to be fleshed out in real relationships with other Christians. That's kind of the negative. The positive is whoever keeps Jesus' word to love your Christian sisters and brothers, God's love is perfected in you. It it reaches its goal, which is that you love others. Now I should say, um, the New Testament's got a whole lot to say about loving your neighbour and even loving your enemies, but the point here and the point today is about loving your Christian brothers and sisters. Now, let's try and be a little bit more practical. This is about being in the kind of relationships and community where you receive love and give love. Okay, let's do receive first. Um, The Christian friend who cooks for you, that church family who welcomes their single friends into their home and into their family, it's almost like those little examples are the hands and feet of God. And so I want to encourage you to let people minister to you. Let Jesus humble you enough that others can serve you, cook a meal for you, even if that does something to your pride or like whatever other example. Because we're meant to receive God's love through others. And then the other side of it is we're meant to find ways to love and to give love, Um, not just serving others as a duty, but as a joy, enjoying each other and eating together and building community and spending time together. And then the argument later in 1 John is that as all that happens, I'll call it brotherly love, as that happens... It's not some kind of poor substitute for God's love. It is God's love through the hands and feet that are your sisters and brothers in your life. Now you read Matthew 25 and it, it's Jesus hugging you and it's Jesus visiting you in hospital and it's Jesus weeping with you through other Christians. Uh, what else can we say practically? Well, practically to love like this means committing, committing. Um, Love commits, doesn't it? Our love doesn't keep its options open, you know, just in case, you know, a better friendship comes up. But, you know, even in a church our size, it's actually hard to love everyone deeply. So the challenge and the encouragement is to make sure you're loving some people deeply. That's God's vision, God's command, actually, um, that we're practically loving other Christians. Now, I think this is an extra challenge in our kind of society, Um. Hugh Mackay is an Australian kind of social researcher. He's been around for decades. And he wrote, um, I think it was in his last book, about uh, kind of the predicament of busyness in our modern society. Um, One of the problems is, in our society, busyness is almost a badge of pride. Uh, You know, what's the first answer when when you ask someone, how are you busy? So often, so much of the time. And sometimes we almost kind of come back with, oh, yes, but gosh, I'm even busier. Like this kind of, you know, uh, this badge of pride. But the bit that struck me from um, this article that Hugh Mackay wrote is he said that busyness decompassions you. Okay, did you get that? (laughs) Busyness decompassions you. That is, there's something about our rushing around that kind of saps our compassion for others. And uh, if if you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, you know that there's this Samaritan man in need on the side of the road and all these religious leaders pass by and they don't help him for all sorts of racial and prejudicial reasons. But perhaps our reason might be that we're just too busy. Sure, look, I've probably got six, you know, a six-minute block to help you in a couple weeks' time. Would that be okay? We just don't end up with enough time and energy and space and love in our lives. And so... Part of the problem is we just live in a society with so many good things and so many friendships that we can enjoy. And so I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, to commit, but not to commit absolutely every last six-minute block of your life so that there's time for the kind of compassion that comes up and those needs that we can meet them. So you need a team behind you. The catch is it'll never work if it's just about you. It's got to be about others. And I don't know if you've noticed, but this is basically the opposite of Marie Kondo. Hands up if you've kind of followed this in the last few weeks. Oh, okay. All right. I'll just fill you in. So, Marie K- what what do you call her? She's like a lifestyle consult- consultant, this uh, um, how to declutter your house. But it's like this spiritual kind of thing that if you could just declutter your house, it'll... Actually, her mission is what, um, sparking joy through tidying. Like, that is, I mean, for most of, I know, yeah, as soon as you say it out loud, it's like, really? But anyway, um, there's been, this has kind of taken the world by storm because it's this Netflix kind of documentary and people have been talking about it and I noticed uh, one of the clothing bins at another church was just, there was so much rubbish last week, now the bin's gone. They don't want it. So, kind of, you know, here's our Australian society and actually, I think most of the problem is the consumerism that buys too much stuff in the first place, but anyway, um, she, she says, you know, what you, what you need to do is kind of go through your life and your house and your wardrobe and kind of hold up items and just sort of like it's a sniff test, but see if they spark joy. Um, and I think, I think the test is like instant joy. And that's a danger actually, isn't it? You know, it, um, actually, the other problem with this is it's a classic outside-in approach to the problems of life. There's all sorts of ways that we do this. Um, you know, start of the year, join the gym. If I just feel a bit better about my outside, I'll feel better on the inside. Religion works like that. If I just kind of follow a few rules and make sure I eat the right thing, and I'll kind of, you know, feel better about who I am. But there's something about God's vision here that we've been seeing in 1 John. The way to spark joy is by taking on more messy relationships, right? Right? <laughs> um, because in real relationships, you have to let people in and you have to make space and make time and allow them to contradict you and challenge you and you've got to share your hurts and your doubts and your sins and your wins and that is going to be messy and it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be wonderful. <laughs> but you know, honestly, there's, some, there's probably some people in your life that if you held them up for the kind of spark, do they spark joy in my life test, you'd discard them. Rather than love them. And so here's my question as we kind of finish up like, how, seriously, how will you keep opening yourself up to those relationships in your life that will be messy and costly, but will also support you and change you and bring you joy? And the answer is because that's what Jesus already did for you. That's how Jesus already loved you. Now, 1 John 2, verse 1. We'll go into detail another time, but it says, you know, if anyone does sin, Jesus is our propitiation, the sacrifice that takes away our sins. That is, Jesus is the sacrifice who bore God's judgment that you and I deserve so that we never have to face it. But you know what John was saying at the start of that, it's not just that we've escaped judgment, but that we now are welcomed into fellowship with God the Father. We're part of the family. So, so, Jesus has basically taken on your mess so that he can take you into the heart of God. Isn't that good news? And friends, as that seeps into your heart, Jesus took on your mess to take you into God's heart. That'll move you to give love and it'll humble you enough to receive love and it'll help you to commit to those messy relationships that are going to grow you and change you, and then help all of us to be the church that God wants us to be. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm just going to give you a moment to, you might like to bow your heads and just reflect or pray, and I'll wrap up in just a moment. our Creator God and Heavenly Father. We thank you for this good news that Jesus is the one who took on our sin and our selfishness and our mess and our self-righteousness and he dealt with it forever on the cross when he was the once and for all sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that because Jesus has done that, that we now can experience all of your love and joy and see that grow in our lives. But Father, today I pray for my friends here, not only that your spirit would help us to see your love for each one of us, but that you would so overwhelm us and move us that we would truly love one another. And we pray, Lord, even more, that your love through us would overflow to this whole community and city around us. Father, would you do that this year for our sake, uh, for this city's sake, and most of all for your sake? And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au